What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. I'm Matt Jolly, and this is History Worth Saving. Coming to you from the Red Barn at Fairchance Farm in Georgia, where great American stories grow strong. Welcome to the third season. Please, if you would, sign up for the newsletter at historyworthsaving.com. I'd love to stay in touch. And remember, if you like the show, tell your friends. If you don't, well, bless your heart. Thanks for listening. Now, here's the show. On this episode of History Worth Saving, we're visiting with an old friend, April Deteen. Who you heard from last season, she is a survivor of human trafficking. April, welcome back. Thanks for being here. Thank you. Thank you so much. I want to get right into this because when we last left it, your show sent a shockwave through our listenership about human trafficking and all of the horribleness, but also the upside that you can survive this with a few key points. And you brought those to the table, and I cannot thank you enough. I want to get back to your story and to your friend who joins us now, Robin Fleming, who's there with you. Would you tell us the rest of the story, so to speak, the second half of of your story? Because it is so important and impactful. You know, at the end of the relationship, um, at a point where I was really looking for a way out, um, I had been moved to another city. was still under an immense amount of control, but had been moved to a a city a couple of states away. And there had been a woman, a younger woman, uh, favors me quite a lot, actually. Um, So he definitely had a type, um, had been moved in to replace me, essentially. And by Um, the, the, the person you're talking about, the trafficker who actually trafficked you, uh, for those just joining in, you actually married this this guy at some point. That's how sick and twisted his his lie was, his control over you. And and yeah. he and he's the one, this trafficker who married you moves you yes. to this other city. And now you're talking about this other woman. I just wanted to make that yeah. point clear because yeah, I still can't believe it. Yeah, that's absolutely right. So I had been moved to another city and a and a, a woman that was um, a few years younger than I had been um, sought after, uh, groomed potentially to replace me. Um, she was just as unaware of what was about to happen to her as I had been at what was happening to me. Um, 
beautiful young woman. Um, she cared very much for a daughter that um, I was not allowed to have. Thankfully, Robin was there to, to raise my little girl. Um, but the pain that she suffered was so much more immense even than my own because while I was being trafficked, uh, I had set the bar so high on the amount of money and notoriety that he was getting that once he had Robin groomed for my position, essentially, um, she had a really high bar to reach. And when you did not reach that bar, you suffered immense consequences for it. And the worst part of it was we had been pitted against each other to hate each other for years. Um, and, and I know why, uh, I know why now, you know, you you fast forward 21 years because he knew that we were so strong that had we ever been able to come together like we are now, he would not have been able to control us the way he did. And so he made sure that, uh, he separated us and, um, and as he knew that I was getting to a point where I was going to leave, regardless of whether it killed me or not, he had a replacement there for him already. And that was Robin. And about five years ago, I was sitting in my home with Sean. He was getting ready to leave for an air show. Sean is my fiance. You heard about last time. Um, and I was in college, you know, I'm 44 at the time I'm in college and this woman sends me a message on Facebook messenger and says, Hey, we need to talk. And there were a couple of cuss words that I said. Um, and I won't say them on here just because I know this is a family show, but there was a lot of what the bleep, bleep, bleep does this bleep, bleep want? And, um, she says, I'm about to do, my first TV interview on what happened to us. And I'm like, yeah, we're, I mean, we were beaten and, you know, our money was taken from us. And, um, but I didn't know what it was yet. Um, and she said, I said, okay. And, and she said, April, what happened to us has a name and it's called human trafficking. And oddly enough, I was in a humanities course at the time and we were studying human trafficking. And I had spent so much time um, escaping the reality of what had happened to me with drugs that I never really processed what he actually did. And when I realized that it was human trafficking, it was a shock. Um, and I watched her, her TV uh, interview and I just cried, Matt, and cried because I was, you know, I was on the cusp of, I've only been clean for a year or so. I've got this amazing new boyfriend at the time. Um, I'm trying to go to school. I'm trying to, you know, keep it all together and stay clean. And now this, and it's real and it's tangible. And, and, and now what am I going to do? And had it not been for Robin over the last five years, I, I don't know that um, I would have been able to handle what it actually is that happened to us had I not had the strength of her helping pull me through it. And, and I think it was the same for her that, you know, 
Sean asked me one day, he said, how did this sisterhood for you and Robin become so powerful and so close? And I said, it's because we survived the same exact thing from the same exact guy. And now we're able to survive it together. Well, Robin, I want to get you in here because your story is a little different than April's. And yes. it, and it, it really opens a lot of eyes up, I think, when they hear it, how you came to this life. Because, you know, April came through it through addiction and a, and a variety of other pains, but, but you came through it through a much different type of, of suffering. Can you talk a little bit about that just to, to help us uh, understand where you were at at that time when you met this man? Right. So um, I am a few years younger than April, and... Um, you know, I, I was a product of rape. My mom was 14. My dad was 24. Um, he kind of was the same kind of demeanor as our trafficker. You know, he had moved her across the United States. He had changed his name, had changed her, her last name, um, faked a marriage, the whole nine. So then being a, a child of somebody so young, there was never really that mature connection of love there. So I spent most of my life looking for that kind of relationship. And, you know, my mom remarried and had three kids and I was still constantly kind of the kid on the back burner, you know, the constant reminder of something so negative in her life. Um, I don't always think it was intentional that she made me feel that way, but I did. And I got pregnant at 17 as well and still just didn't have that, that love and that connection that I had always, you know, we all want. And I remember my daughter was three and I was fresh 21, as I call it. And I was working at a bar and he came in with his crew of people. And I went to a house party at his there. It was actually April at his house that he had just recently moved her out of state from. And, um, you know, the rest was history after there. I mean, he had he said everything I needed him to say. Um, it was right at Christmas. So I had met his daughter, you know, their daughter and my daughter and you know, they could be sisters and we could be a family. And I remember the first time meeting April because I was asleep in her bed thinking that she was this deranged woman that had abandoned her child because that's what he kept telling me. And I remember her staring, standing over me, looking at me and again, cursing who the blank is this blank <laughs> in my bed. And, you know, and I had questioned him at that time, but he just kept telling me she was crazy and you know, all these things. So he, he definitely started our, our pit against each other very early. Um, and I'm sure you look back on this and you go, you know, what, what was, how I, was I so stupid? What was I thinking? But yeah, but when you, when you come at it from the, from the angle that you're, you're coming at it with this deep pain mm -hmm. and this hurt, I, I mean, I, I see where you're coming at it from, but that's a long walk. Yeah. How, how are you dealing with that today? Because obviously both of you eventually got out of it. Yes. And, and your work today is much different than your work was 10, 15 years ago when you were trapped in this life. Right. But, I mean, but I walk think us through that process because it, it's, a, it's a long one, I know. But, but. And I think it was hard at first. I mean, I remember the realization when I realized what happened to us was intimate partner trafficking. 
And I remember people had started to bring it up a couple of times and said, oh, you were trafficked and kept trying to introduce me to some different support groups and stuff. And I was, you know, no, I was just in an abusive relationship. You know, this happens and I got away and I was just thank I was just thankful that I got out, you know, because there's a point where you feel like if you stay, he's going to kill you. And I just said, he's going to kill me if I stay. He's going to kill me if I leave. I'm gonna if I'm going to die, I'm going to die on my terms. Exactly. I said, I'm just going to leave. And um, but, but that day that you left, yeah, Robin, the day that Robin actually finally escaped, uh, our trafficker bit 18 holes. He bit 18 holes in my face. Yeah. Um, and it was actually our daughter's birthday, October 14th of 2006. He had found me at a job after he had locked me in the trunk of the car for three days. And I had figured out how to get out, spent the morning in the emergency room, getting some cortisone shots in my back and some different things. And he came to my job um, and brought the little girl. It was her birthday. And, you know, he tried to use her against me and bit 18 holes in my face. And I still continued to walk around this amusement park. I was still on spirit days at an amusement park. And I still walked around with blood just pouring down my face. And him, he used to pinch my back. Um, to get me to, to act correct, as he would say. And, um, yeah, I will never forget that day. And um, his, his son was there, and he wanted to ride this ride. And my boss was like, no, we don't have anybody to operate it. But when he saw my face and realized I hadn't just tripped and fell, he, he all of a sudden found some people to ride that or run that ride and called the police and had him arrested. And the thing is, Matt, you know, a lot of people that will listen to this and are like, you were just walking around with blood on your face and like it was normal. And that was a normal day for us to walk around right. with a black eye or, you know, um, a collapsed lung or broken ribs or blood just gushing from our face. That was a normal day for us. So it was not uncommon for us to walk around like that. We had accommodated ourselves. I mean, I'd been stabbed in the side um, a couple weeks before that when he had kidnapped me another time. He had stabbed me in my side, and I never got to get it treated. So, yeah, it was normal it's to be normal. in pain. Yeah. And here we are. I'll be free 15 years in October, and I'm still seeing chiropractic and different medical avenues to heal myself from the physical damage that he did to us. A lot of people just wonder, and I, and I know April and I've talked about this, but a lot of people hear this and they go, why didn't you just leave? I mean, why didn't you just leave? And you, you, you had your child and obviously, you know, you're thinking, well, why didn't they just take the child and why, why didn't they leave? And, and the answer is always different. And I don't think there's, there is an answer for this, but Robin, why didn't you leave? It's all, you know, for one that, to me, that is the most aggravating question people ask. Um, they get you so drawn down this hole Path of that, destruction. that you don't realize what you're doing is wrong and you don't know how to leave. You don't, they get you to the point where you don't know how to survive without them. They take everything from you. I had no ID. I had no, I had no way to even prove who I was and the threats were so real. Like I truly believed that if I left, he would kill me. Right. And I, I, I did not at that time realize what big, how big of a coward he actually was. I truly believe that if he could hit me, stab me, and stab me and bite me and rape me, then why, why couldn't he kill me? Right. You know, he threatened to kill my mom, my, my kid, 
you know, I had sent my daughter away to live. And, and I think I stayed so long because I was protecting April's child. I did not want to leave her. And it, that was probably my hardest thing was the day I finally left, knowing that I had to leave her in that environment. And, you know, we talked about this last time, Matt, you know, and, and it is, I know everybody wants to, they want an answer to that question. And if you research Stockholm syndrome, like I spoke of before, you'll see right there why uh, a lot of people that are victims of crimes like this don't leave or, or the different things that happen to you psychologically. But there's another component of this that does not get talked about. And it's something that you and I have touched on, I don't know, a handful of times, Matt, but who do we call? Like, we can't call the cops. The cops have been our customers. Judges are our customers. You know, lawmakers are our customers. So if we dial 911, that doesn't mean that the cop that shows up at our door was not a customer that paid him two nights before for us to be, you know, there for them. And what is he going to do? He's going to take the little $100 that, you know, our trafficker gives him and he's going to turn around and there will never even be a report filed. And let me tell you, the repercussions for a, a call like that, well, you've already heard what got done to us when we didn't make the right amount of money. So can you imagine what would happen when we didn't get him arrested because the person that we called to protect us was one of his customers? Can you imagine what the next 24 hours would be like for us? And I think, I think one thing that, that stands out every time I hear you talk about this is I had an experience several months back where I was at a car wash and there were two ladies washing this guy's car. And they were not dressed in a manner that you would think of being at a car wash on a Friday afternoon. And the guy sat in the back seat the whole time with his headphones on. And they're out there washing this guy's car. And I thought, man, that just doesn't look right. You know, and they, their demeanor didn't look like it didn't. It, something was not right. And I remember watching this police car drive behind me and slow down. And the guy got out of the back seat and he kind of defiantly looked at this officer and I thought, wow, I wonder what's going to happen here. He's got to be able to see this. And I remember I called you and I told you what happened. And, and you said to me something that, <laughs> that I just, I've never forgotten April share it with everybody because it was so impactful. Well, I kind of laughed because I get, yeah, you did. The <laughs> you, I you did. did laugh. You did exactly did like that. Yep. I, I laugh and I'll tell you why, not because it's funny, but because it's why Robin and I do the awareness events for free that we do um, all around Missouri throughout the year. Um, but I laughed because you really were at the thought that like, okay, the cops are seeing the same things I'm seeing right. and he's going to go check this deal out. And for me, I was like, no, he was this man that got out of the backseat of that car was literally looking to see if the cop that was in that car was one of his customers. And the cop, just drove off. I mean, he slowed down yeah. and he looked and then he drove off. And I, I thought for sure something, something would happen. You know, maybe he would pull over and, and he was at a car wash. It would have, it would have been easy to pull into one of the vacuum stalls, you know, and just look around a little bit, but no, I mean, he just, he, he just left. And they, I know they saw each other because there was eye contact. And, and to have you say that just drove home the fact that the people who are involved in these types of activities and who are funding these traffickers, in other words, hiring and using their products, these are, these are men oftentimes in power. And Absolutely. they're 
police officers, their judges, their pastors. Let's talk just a little bit about that, because where you're at in Missouri, trafficking is alive and well. A lot, yes, very much so. Um, I think we're ranked 13. Yeah, 13 in the United, in the United States, States, yeah. For trafficking. Yeah. And um, the number so one city, do you know the number one city? I think it used I to be. I believe it's St. Louis. Okay, wow. I mean, we sit right on I-70, which is the longest interstate in the United States. So you think about that, and then there's a major football team, major hockey team, all those events. Um, you know, the Super Bowl is the largest trafficking event of the year. For revenue for traffickers, the yeah. Super Super Bowl Sunday is the number one grossing black market revenue for trafficking. True story. And you lived it. And we've lived it. Yeah. And we've lived it. We survived it. Yes, we survived it. We survived numerous of those events. I yeah. Mean, any of those big sporting events are major revenue for trafficking. You've got a lot of money, a lot of money at those events. Money and power, and that's what it's about. And I say this often, and I've said it to you. Uh, men with power want one thing, more power. Mm-hmm. And um, when they have women that they have under their control, uh, that's a pretty powerful notion to other men. Um, and money comes with that. And I think it's, something, it's kind of a game. They're willing to pay more and more and more because they want something. And that was the game for us is constantly think they're going to get something and they'll continue to pay for it. But once you give them what they want, which was ultimately sex, they're going to stop paying you. And so that was the ultimate game that we were taught was to continue to tease them and they'll continue to pay. And men in power love to be teased and love to pay. And just hearing it's a vicious cycle. It is a business cycle, but just hearing it is it's even it's it's difficult to hear because of the pain and the suffering that the two of you had to go through. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the question that I asked you about, why didn't you leave? I I know that's a hard one, but I think it's I think it's harder on the people who ask. Right. I think that's more about the people who ask, because. When we ask that question, why didn't you leave? It puts the responsibility back on you for not leaving. And it, it totally advocates everybody in these communities, especially um, <laughs> you, can't, you can't pigeonhole one town or another. It happens all over the country uh, for not doing something about it. So how do we do something about this? And I know that you've, you've dedicated your lives to this now. How, how do we do something about human trafficking in our own areas? Well, we're doing it. Um, this, talking about it. You putting, know, a, putting a face to it. Yeah. When people see us, you know, when I did the, the first interview on KMIZ Channel 17, I think it was Fox 22, and I walked back into church a couple weeks after that, and I was walking my daughter to her Sunday school class, and I think she was like third or fourth grade at the time, and the guy that was running her class, he just stopped, and he said, it's you, and I said, it's, it's me, and he goes, I saw you on the news. He said, I never would have realized that happened here until I saw your story, and I know you. He said, I know you. You live here. You live in my backyard, meaning, you know, his community. And I think that's a big part of it is putting a face to it, that this is America and it is happening here, and we are two people that are the faces of human trafficking. 
intimate partner trafficking at that, which is even more extreme. But I think that that puts a big thing on it because people think trafficking, third world country, you know, snatching little kids snatching, off the street, yeah, snatching little kids. Apparently, only Mexicans right. coming across the border and and things like that. They don't think that some girl from Columbia, Missouri, or Fulton, Missouri, is going to be trafficked and you all know, over the country. Oh, we're yeah. taken all over the country. Yeah, and from strip club to strip club to strip club to strip club. Um, actually, what happened to us had we. If we ever decided that we wanted to pursue criminal charges, they're actually standing federal charges still that we could pursue. Because um, there, there is no statute of limitation on human trafficking charges, and it is a felony. Right. And I, I, I guess we should get into this because I can hear everybody going, well, what happened to the guy? You're both married to this this monster, if you will, and... That's actually what Robin calls him, still to this day. Yeah, I call him the monster. And I think it's 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 an interesting stance. And if he hears this... He will. He will. The, the, the reason I bring this up is, is, is you have completely taken... Well, I'll, I mean, just tell everybody. So... Robin and I made a conscious decision in the beginning when we started doing events together that this would no longer be about him, but it would be about us. It would be about us taking back the control in our lives. We've never named him publicly, and we will not. There are only a couple of circumstances where we would, and that would be of necessity only. Um, we have a child to protect that we both raised, so we feel as though she is ours. Um, but what we do now is about awareness of what can happen to someone that you love. Like I have, I'm not like Robin in the way that I don't have a family that cares about me. As you well know, Matt, I have a enormous family and we are very, very close. Um, but I had had early childhood trauma that kind of set the tone the same way it did for Robin. And so what we do is about us bringing awareness about what happened to us, taking away control from the person that did it to us, and bringing about, like Robin stated, a face and a name to something that people have truly only seen and heard about recently and really only know what they hear about like on the media and seen in kind of movies and different things like that. And so for us, it's no longer about him. It's about us. And he'll hear this. He hears it all. He sees everything we do. And I think knowing where he's at now and knowing what he's doing, we know he's still kind of up to the same charade, just in a different direction. But I think that him knowing that we know and that we're in control of the situation now I can't say that he has enough heart to, for it to bother him, but he knows. He knows. He knows. And is it, is it fair to say what he's doing today? Uh, we're under the understanding that he is the pastor of a church. And there's no part of you that, that screams out for justice in this. Um, and let me say it this way. There's no part of you that screams out for justice in this world. Because I, I know I know where you both stand. 
So right, right, and you do know where we both stand yeah. on this. Um, I mean, I, would I love to see him go to prison and spend the rest of his life there? Absolutely. But is that going to change anything that he did to me or her? No, it's not going to take any of the pain away from us, the children that were involved. Um, I think that what we're doing now and letting him sit there somber and and listen to us, you know, tell our story, tell our story and let people know. And, and people, I'm sure people go up to him and go, oh, I heard this or, oh, I heard that. And he can say whatever he wants. We have nothing to hide. We didn't, we would love to say, oh my gosh, we made all this up, but we didn't. Right. And so, yeah, justice, sure, maybe one day. But I think that, I think that us not pointing him out does him more justice for us. For us. Yeah. Than sending him to prison. And, and his, his crimes at this point, which you and I have talked about, Matt, um, I've been away from him a lot longer than Robin has. Um, thankfully, uh, I am of a firm belief that we will all face our own trials and our own judgment mm -hmm. when we go to meet God. And I believe that he will face his own trials and judgment just like her and I will. Um, and I think that's why he went to the church. You know, and, and I would love to hope, you know, I will say this. I, I hope and pray that he is the man today that he portrays himself to be. I, I hope that he has turned his life around and that he is a follower of God and that he is, he is trying to bring about, you know, uh, the word of God. Um, I can't say that he isn't. I, I have no contact with him. Um, and, and so I can't 100% say that he is or isn't on either hand. And so um, I love the fact that I am not judged for the things that I've done along the way, which some of them have been very bad, as you well know. Um, and so I don't, I won't judge him. I won't have contact with him either. Um, but I'll let him meet his maker just like I'll meet mine. And Robin pretty much feels mm -hmm. the same way. Now, I will say this. And anybody that is listening, and I really am at a point in my life where I could care less who that might be. If I ever find out that he is potentially trafficking women again, then there will be consequences. April Deteen and Robin Fleming, thank you for sharing your story here. Give me the, the final thought here, because the line that you use I want everybody to remember, if you see something, what do you say? Are you safe? Are you safe? My thanks again to April Deteen and to Robin Fleming for coming on. Listen, if you see something and it's not right and you don't even want to ask, are you safe? Remember this number. It's the National Human Trafficking Hotline. In fact, put it in your phone when you're finished listening to this episode. 888-373-7888. Again, it's 888-373-7888. Just put that in your phone and save it. It's the National Human Trafficking Hotline. If you call it, I'm told that a lot of times when a new case comes up or a tip, they will observe the person. If you can write a license number down, any 
thing that you can help to identify the vehicle or the situation or the location. They'll make sure they have a case and you could very well save somebody's life just by calling that number. Again, 888-373-7888. Robin told me ahead of the show, there's an, there's an app that you can even put on your phone called Traffic Cam. T-R-A-F-F-I-C-K-C-A-M. This app is helping law enforcement agencies find out where these victims are being held. Something as simple as taking a few pictures on your next family vacation of your hotel room could help save a life. The app is called Traffic Cam. If you do those two things, those two small things, you could save a life and you could certainly help somebody else become a survivor of human trafficking and not a statistic. For April Dateen and Robin Fleming, I'm Matt Jolly. And this has been History Worth Saving. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.